It's so glad to see you here today. We're excited about this new series. And I'll just start, start by saying there has never been a time in human history where the world wasn't in desperate need for God, for His presence in this world and the, his, his, his kingdom come for His will to be done. But as, as things progress, as the end draws nearer and nearer, and as eagle seems to get more brave and brash and in front of us, and as uh, catastrophes and national, natural disasters are increasing in frequency and power, as apathy in the hearts of men has grown us to become cold or, or even hard in hatred, I believe now more than ever the world needs God's presence. It needs His presence. And listen, this is what I also believe. I believe Jesus is the hope of the world. And so as long as Jesus is raised from the dead, there's hope for this world, right? There's hope. And the message and the power and the life and the presence of Jesus Christ has been given to us, his church. And so in essence, what we're saying, because Jesus is the hope of the world, the church is the hope of the world, right? The church, the world needs the church now more than ever. But not just any church. Listen, we need the church. We need a church that is a good church, committed to Christ and to his truth a church that's committed to his mission, and a church that's committed to one another, we need to be that church, right, church? Yes. And the world needs not just us, but we need thousands and thousands of churches to be good churches just like that, right? That's what brings hope to this world, and we need it now more than ever. We're going to do that this series, and uh, excited to share it with you. We're going to start with the idea of talking about fake news. How many of you know that term, fake news, Okay. All right, you haven't been under a rock for eight years. That's good. All right, so we all know that term. And whether you agree with that's, uh, what's happened politically or in our, in our media today, I can tell you one thing definitively. Spiritually, uh, fake news is alive and well. It's alive and well. And so we've got to be people. If we're going to be the church that this world needs, if we're going to be the people of God that, that live by truth, then you and I have to know the truth and live the truth. All right, so we're going to look at what it means to be people grounded in the truth of God's word and living according to that truth and a church that champions that kind of truth. So uh, if you want to turn with me, it's a passage I really wouldn't have picked out, but I think God had a special message for us today. We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 22. And just a disclaimer here, I'm going to let you know up front. For 14 years, I have preached every message off of my notes on one page, okay? One page, I keep it to one page. But once in 14 years, I get to have more than one page. All right, so it's a, we had one last song today because my sermon's going long. Okay, I'm just warning you. It's only a little bit more, but it is more. All right, so here we go. What does God have to say about this? I want to set the context for you because uh, in, this, uh, in this day, it was after the height of the Israelite kingdom where David and Solomon, where there's United Kingdom, and it was the most powerful, glorious nation on earth around 1000 BC. This is sometime after that where the kingdom got divided into the, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And as we pick up the story, the king of Israel in the north, uh, king, uh, king Ahab, he comes and he asks King Jehoshaphat of Judah, don't you love that name, Jehoshaphat? Jumpin' Jehoshaphat, that's the guy. Okay, Jumpin' Jehoshaphat. In fact, that's a fun name to say, so let's all say Jehoshaphat together. Ready? One, two, three. Jehoshaphat. That's right. That's who we're talking about. Jeho for short. Everyone under 30 got that joke. Okay. Uh, anyway. 
Uh, he comes to the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, and says, hey, we have a common enemy in the kingdom of Aram. How about we go to war together against him? And so here we pick up the story with Jehoshaphat replying to the king of Israel. He says, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. He's saying, listen, giddy up, let's go. If you want to go, let's go, we'll act as one. We'll be one army, we'll be one nation, we'll do as that also said to the king of Israel, first seek the counsel of the Lord. I love that response. He's saying, listen, before we go and do anything, before we make any decisions, you and I need to make sure we're doing the right thing and seek God's counsel to know we are doing what God wants us to do. You know what that tells us? There is such a thing as what is right and what is wrong. And I love that Jehoshaphat just didn't assume that he knew what was right and wrong. He didn't instinctually just say, I, I've got that figured out. And he didn't go with a gut feeling or he just woke up that morning feeling like it was the right thing to do. He said, we need to be seeking God to know what his mind is on this. We need to follow the truth because the truth is important. We can't do it if God's not in it. But if God's in it, let's do it. We can't presume that either, can we? we got to seek out truth. You know what it tells me? That the truth is worth seeking. If Jehoshaphat said, listen, there's a truth out there and God's got it and we need to figure out what it is before we go off and do what we want to do, then the truth is worth seeking, right? For them, the stakes were really high. We're talking about kingdoms and armies and death and, and losing their power and a lot was at stake for them. But listen, if we're going to be people that live by the truth and seek the Lord's counsel, there's a lot at stake in our lives as well, right? Our livelihood, the quality of our lives and our families and our church and our community. And if we live by the truth, those things can flourish. But if we don't live by the truth, those things can crumble. There's a lot at stake for us too. Seeking God's counsel assumes that there is such a thing as truth, absolute truth. Let me ask you something. Don't you think that's being minimized in our culture today? Good and evil and these things. We've kind of mushed them all together. It's being minimized in our culture today. And this is what it sounds like. Instead of saying what is, in, what is true is ultimately important, we'll say how I feel is more important. Well, I don't feel like doing that even though it's true. And so what I feel comes, more, comes first before what is true. Or we'll say it's a relative truth, and what might be true for you isn't true for me. So although you want to live by that truth, I don't, I'm not obligated to live by the same truth because truth is relative. Or our culture will say it's culturally dependent truth, and, and what's true in Israel in 1,000 B.C. doesn't apply to my life today. That was back then, and that was over there, but this is today, and it's not true for us. Can I tell you something? There is such a thing as absolute truth. There's absolute truth. And it's, it's true regardless of our feelings or who says it or who believes it or where it was said or when it was said. It's true. It's just true. You know what the definition of truth is? In accordance with the facts. That's what truth means. It's just, it's based on fact. In fact, this is what Jesus said in John chapter 8. I love how he says that. He says, listen, if you continue to obey my teaching, you are truly my followers. And then you'll know the what? The truth and the 
Truth will set you free. He's saying, listen, there is such a thing as absolute truth when it comes to the things of God, when it comes to how we should live our life, what it means to be a follower of mine, and those things are objectively true regardless of all the other circumstances going on. They're true. See, see, truth isn't just confined to math or science or other subjects you study in, in school. There are absolute foundational truths spiritually in our relationship through his son, God. And listen, God has revealed them through his written word, and he has revealed them through his son, Jesus Christ, and he's revealed them through the work of his Holy Spirit in giving us the scriptures. In fact, he revealed them to the disciples. And you might say, well, how do I know that this book is true? How do I know that these, these things Jesus said are true and accurate? I, I want to tell you something. You weren't the first person to think of that or question that. It's okay to question that. But listen, Jesus headed it off of the past 2,000 years ago. He told us exactly how we know that what we're reading today can be true. This is what he says in John 16, the day before he goes to the cross. He tells his disciples, I have much more to say to you. He's like, man, I could, I could down so, download so much more truth to you. I could stay here for years teaching you truth. There's a lot more I could say, but it's more than you can bear right now. He's saying, listen, you don't understand the, my death upon the cross and your sin and the payment I'm going to make for you. You don't understand that there's going to be a resurrection and I'm going to come back to life and I'm going to be able to give eternal life to those who call on my name. You don't understand any of that because it hasn't happened yet, so you can't handle it right now. So I'm going to tell you later, and this is how he does it. So he says, but when he, the spirit of what? Truth. The Holy Spirit has what? Truth. When the Holy Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into, the, into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Jesus said every time when he was on earth, he said, everything I'm telling you, I received from the Father. And then he said, everything I received from the Father, I'm going to give the Holy Spirit. And everything the Holy Spirit has to say, he's going to tell you to write it down. You're going to supernaturally remember the events of my life, and you're going to supernaturally understand spiritual truth, and God's going to move you to write his words for all mankind. That's how we know we have truth. The Father and the Son and the Spirit agree. They have all been at work, not only to give us this truth, but to preserve this truth so you and I can know this truth. And what Jesus said is when you know the truth, the truth will what? Set you free. It'll set you free. So he says you can know truth. Let me give you an example. By four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of your New Testament are four different perspectives by four different people about the, the events of the life of Jesus Christ, and they're written to four different audiences, and yet those four books, and that's a lot of words, by the way, and they, they wrote these things, and although they don't say the exact same thing and how they say it, they all line up perfectly harmoniously together to tell one story about the life of Jesus Christ. The, the four of us couldn't pick where to go to lunch today. Any four of us. But those four Gospels go just like this. How is that possible? Because those people didn't write those words. The power of the living God through the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit moved those authors to say exactly what God intended to say. Because God's the author of all truth. We just read that. In fact, this doesn't even just carry over to spiritual truth. you understand that everything that we know to be true in science, for instance, is true because God has made it true? 
and mankind has just discovered truth. You and I, nobody invented gravity, right? Newton didn't invent gravity. He discovered gravity. Gravity is the acceleration of matter at 9.81 meters per second squared towards the earth. I know that because I used to be an engineer. Beat it in my head. That's always true. You know, but when man found that out and wrote those numbers down and quantified it and measured it, they didn't make that up. They just discovered what God had made because God had made it true. It's true. So not only is the truth worth seeking, you, gotta, you and I need to understand that all truth comes from God himself. All truth. If it's true, it's from him. He's the author and the creator of all truth. What is observable and measurable was happened because God made it observable and measurable. And by the way, that means that if God is the God of science, that you and I shouldn't think about faith and science as conflicting with one another. Faith and science actually go like this together because God is the God of science and he created all science. And we don't have to think we're at odds with science because they actually dovetail one another because God is the God of all science and truth in science. But if you ever feel like those two things are conflicting, go with faith. Go with faith. And here's why. I'll give you an example. Christopher Columbus, some years ago, decided he was going to test his faith. And he set out to sail west on the Atlantic Ocean. He's like, I'm going to go west because he was looking for a shorter trade route from Europe down to uh, India to make a bunch more money, right? You remember this? Seventh grade history class? You remember that? Okay. And so he went off west thinking he was going to hit India, and by accident he ran into North America. And here we are. Thanks, Chris. Good deal. That all happened by accident, but he did it not on accident because he was convinced of the truth of God in the scientific realm. What do you mean by that? The reason he was able to set out and go west on the Atlantic Ocean when nobody else would because they thought the earth was flat, and if you sailed out too far, you would fall off the edge of the earth. That was the science of that day. Chris said, no, no, I know better because I got this idea from God, not from me. Because in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22, it says, God sits enthroned upon the circle of the earth. And he says, God's word describes a round, circular, spherical earth. And so if that's true, then I won't fall off. And so I got in a boat and I tested my faith and he found us. Well, not us, but here we are, North America. That's incredible. God's always true, and he's the author of all truth. Okay, so back to our story. Back to the narrative here in 1 Kings. So they decided they needed to seek the Lord's advice, and so this is what happens. They say, so the king of Israel brought together the prophets, about 400 men. That's a whole lot of prophets, right? And he asked them, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, which is another name for Aram, or shall we refrain? Go, they answered, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat asked, is there no longer a prophet of the Lord? Still one prophet we can inquire of. The king of Israel answered Jehoshaphat, there is still one prophet through whom can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. Don't read that very often in the Bible, right? I hate him. I hate that guy because he never prophesies anything good about me. But always bad. He is Micaiah, the son of Malah, or Imlah. Now that's incredible. 
400 prophets, 400 people that claim to know the will of God that the king goes to and says, hey, what does God want us to do? 400 of them say, hey, you should go and do everything you intend to do. 400, we're going to find out liars and one truth teller. 400 liars and one truth teller. Sounds about right, doesn't it? Does that feel like the odds that you face when you're around the water cooler at work and everybody's spouting off their version of the truth or their lie or whatever their reality is? And you go, no, that's just not it. Can I tell you, that's going to feel like the odds, students, when you go off to college and your atheist professor picks on Christians and makes it sound stupid and belittles the faith in front of other people and makes you feel dumb, it's going to feel like those odds. Or it's going to feel like that when you're at a party and there's things happening in that party you know you need to get away from and not be a part of and not do. And the pressure is going to be to conform because everyone else is doing is going to feel like 400 to 1. And when people are making destructive choices in their life and blowing up relationships and doing things that are harmful to others and they're getting affirmed on social media for making those poor choices and you're going to feel the pressure to chime in too, it's going to feel like 400 to 1 when you say, no, I can't affirm that. What we're saying is the truth will not be popular. The truth will not be popular. It might feel like 400 to 1 in your context. The truth is, is that you'll feel like you're in the minority if you stand for truth. And if you stand for truth, there's going to be people that don't like what you say. The king hated Micaiah. Hated him. Can I ask you, have you ever been hated because you stood up for your faith or you stood up for your conviction or you stood up for the truth? Not relent on what you knew were the truths of God and you stood your ground and you were hated for it. Can I tell you, if you did that in love and respect and kindness, but you stood your ground, you should wear that hatred, I don't mean this lightly, like a badge of honor. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. He said, good job. Well done. Way to go. You won't be popular. I don't care. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. So he says, stay in your ground even though it's not popular. The reason people don't like it when you and I stand for truth is they don't want to hear the truth because it convicts them and it's offensive to them. It's offensive when you say, I can't do this because it's morally wrong because they want to do it and they don't want to think of it as morally wrong, so they want to do it anyway, so they have to attack you, the messenger, instead of the truth of the message. But God says, stand your ground. Stand your ground. If you're always going along with the crowd, can I tell you something? There's going to be times in your life that you need to take a stand for God. And you need to be unpopular with somebody else. And you need to take this and not just go with the flow and not go with the crowd and always do what other people are doing or saying what other people are saying or agreeing with everybody else. No, you stay promise in every single one of our lives. And it's going to be offensive to somebody. But being offended is okay, right? I don't know about you, but I think God says things that we don't want to hear all the time. He offends me. God ever offend you? He offends me all the time. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> now, let me give you a few examples. I'll give you a few examples. So, um, 
God says, don't be consumed with materialism and stuff and live this life to have more and more. He says, do not store for yourself treasures on earth. And that's a really offensive message when I know online shopping's right here. And everything my heart desires is right here. That's offensive. It's offensive when God says, don't store for yourself treasures on earth, and yet we want more and more stuff. When we live in the most, most wealthy, materialistically abundant society in the history of mankind, it's offensive. It's offensive when God says, everything's good, but do it in moderation, and I'm at the buffet, and I pull up that third plate, and I so bad want to go back. I haven't even hit the desserts yet, man. I'm Baptist, come on, I love to eat. And I go, that's offensive, God. I had a mentor tell me one time, he's like, you need to push away from the table, Rod. I'm like, thanks. <laughs> I was offended, but he was right. i tell you another thing. When God says be holy in a culture that is riddled with sin and justifies sin and says sin is okay and there's no such thing as sin and you can do what you want because everything's morally okay, when God says be holy in, God, in that context, it's offensive because he points out where you and I are not where we need to be. He, he offends us because he loves us. And he, and he gives us his word that, that we should be offended by God. I hope the word of God is offending you as you read this book and you go, oh my gosh, it's a mirror and it's showing me who I am and I'm not where I need to be and I need to change how I think and I need to treat, treat people differently. I need to act differently and speak differently and become more like Jesus Christ because it's showing me I'm so far from where I need to be. And I'm offended in the most beautiful way. Because it's true. The truth is not popular. I'm not sure I'm popular right now either. I think I stepped on a few toes. The truth's not even popular inside the Christian church. You realize that? In the, church, in the whole big banana of Christianity, truth is becoming less and less a thing. And the Bible has reported, uh, warned repeatedly about what they call false teachers. False teachers. It, it's, if you're listening to somebody, there's false teachers under the name of Christianity. Not everybody who teaches under the name of Christian or Jesus is actually teaching the truth. If you listen to somebody on a podcast or YouTube or whatever and they never offend you, if you're never told that your sin needs to be dealt with, if they tell you it's not all about you getting what you want, if they don't offend you, then there's something wrong. If you're listening to that person and you never have to deal with the weight of your sin that only Jesus Christ can remove through his sacrifice on the cross, if they never talk about the only way you can be renewed is by the spirit of the living God working himself out in your life, then they're, they're, telling, you the, they're telling you falsehoods. They're not telling you the truth. Second Timothy says, For the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. You know what it's saying? We should be offended by God's word. We should be offended by the preaching of God's word. We should be offended by the truths and the teaching of Jesus Christ. We should be, we should be challenged to continue on and to grow for him and under him and under his truth. Be careful. It's saying be careful. Not everybody who carries the name of Jesus 
is genuinely teaching the truth. Now, I, there's a million different directions I could go now. I'm just going to give you one example from my own personal life. Uh, some years ago, there was a book on our shelf. I don't even remember where we got it, and I don't mean to offend anybody, but the book was called Jesus Calling. It was by Sarah Young. And I was like, well, I don't even know anything about this book. So I picked it up, started reading it, and she was talking about how there's this thing she calls contemplative prayer where she empties her mind of, of all, nothing scripture, nothing, and just empties her mind, calls them equivalent to scripture, that the revelation of God directly to her. You know what God's word says? The, the last part of the Bible says don't add anything to this book or you'll be cursed. She's clearly not teaching the truth. I got five pages in, and I took that sucker. I said, Gabe, I don't know if this is your book, but it's going in the trash, and I threw it away. It's not according to the truth. It's false teaching. And we got to be super, super, super careful who we give entrance into the teaching in our life. If I ever say a thing that doesn't line up with this book, you need to come confront me. It's that important. We've got to be people of the truth. Back to our story. I'm a little passionate about this. <laughs> so they go find Micaiah, and it says, All the other prophets were prophesying the same thing. Attack Ramoth Gilead and be victorious, they said, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. It's going to be great. You're going to win. No big deal. Go attack him. So the messenger who had gone to summon Micaiah said to him, Look. He's just kind of giving a heads up. Hey, look here. The other prophets, without exception, are predicting success for the king. I'm just going to let you know. Everyone else said go. Let your words agree with theirs and speak favorably. You know what he's saying is you need to get in line and you need to say what everyone else is saying. And I, he's pressuring them to conform to the thinking of the popular thought. Pressure them. You know what? You and I face the same kind of pressures all the time, that we're being pressured to conform into the pattern of this world, that you and I need to think like everyone else thinks. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. Not, being the majority doesn't make has never been the barometer of what is true. Remember Flat Earth, Christopher Columbus? That was one example. Not that long ago, the Titanic, they said they built a ship that was unsinkable. You know how that ended, right? Not so much. Just because it's popular doesn't make it true. So I'm going to give you three quick examples of where I think we're being pressured as followers of Jesus Christ to conform to the thinking of this world. And the first one I would say is in creation. We are taught in our educational system, and we're taught through uh, all kinds of other ways. And I'm not knocking our educational system at all, but it's, we're required to teach kids that this world got formed out of big mush and a big bang and a big whatever. And that soup became an amoeba, that amoeba became an animal and another animal and another animal, and finally here we are. But that book, the, authored by God himself, says, I was there. Let me just tell you what happened. Only, you only have to read two chapters of the first of the book. He said, I took six days and I made everything you see. I made all of it. In fact, I took ground and I formed man in my own image, not in physical likeness, but in the spirit. You know, we're not like the animals. You can't take a dog and turn them into a human because it doesn't have a spirit of the living God living inside of it. We're different. I'm going to make you in my image. Let me tell you something. There is no evidence that evolution, evolution is true. I, I, please come see me if you disagree. I'd love to have that conversation with you. There, you don't have any reason to believe that that theory is true. We can believe what God says is true. Because it's true. 
regardless of who thinks and believes it, right? All right, that's one. Number two, uh, I, think, uh, I think we're being pressured to believe different things about this scripture right here, this book right here that God has assembled. Culture would love for us to say it is just a big book written by man, that it does not have the authority of God behind it, that it is flawed, that it is an error, that it is not authoritative for our life. And there's a reason our world wants us to believe that, because if we don't stand that this is true, then they're not going to be held accountable for any way that they have to act, because there is no authoritative God with a moral code that they need to live by. But I can tell you one thing. God's word's really clear about it. He said, listen, I wrote this book. 2 Timothy 3 says, all scripture is God. Spoke it into being in the breath and mouth of God. He said, listen, when I had something to say, I spoke it into being and here it is. 2 Peter 1 says, uh, <clears throat> no scripture came about by an author's own interpretation for, for the scriptures never had their origin in the will of man, but God, they spoke from God as they're carried along by the Holy Spirit of God. Remember John 16, God moved those men to write his words and it never, ever, ever came out of their heart. The scriptures came out of the heart of the living God. You can believe that. They have been attacking this book and these scriptures for 2,000 years and they've stood the test of time and they've stood every attack. If you doubt God's scripture, there are resources you can get your hand on that you can be confident that this book is actually the truth of God that you and I can live by. Third way I think we're trying to be conformed that the world's conforming us is through social issues. I told you it's not popular. Uh, I'll give you an example. So, so I think in general, though, what the world says on social issues is sin is not really sin. And we can't really label things that way. There isn't really an absolute right and wrong. And so uh, we're just morally and ethically just in this soup, and we're all trying to figure it out, and there's nobody that really knows. I'll give you just one area of that. I think, I think it pervades every single moral issue in our culture and in our lives. But I'll just take the issue of sexuality. The culture would say uh, that, that you can kind of do what you want to do when it comes to your sexual life and there's no serious consequences and you're not really hurting anybody, so just go have fun and do what you want to do. Can I tell you that's a lie? That's not true. It's incredibly painful when it's done outside of God's will. And God's will for our sexual life is that a man and a woman in marriage can enjoy the gift that he gives in sexuality. And that every other option of sex outside of that option is sin. It's sin. So that means a boyfriend and a girlfriend, if they have sex together, God says that's sin. It, it means that... Um, <clears throat> um, it means if you're married and you have sex with somebody else, that's called adultery and that's sin. It means if you have sex with someone of the same sex, that is wrong and it is sin. It means that you have lustful thoughts and looks at other things. If you're looking at pornography, I have to say this. I had to put this in my notes. If you have sex with a child or a little one, that is, that is abomination. It's a perversion and it's sin. Listen, you're not going to hear that message, those messages from anyone else except God. You say, how in the world can you say those things? That, that's homophobic. That's all these other things. You're just, you're just, you're just telling us what you think. You know what our answer is going to be? This is my answer. It's the next verse in the, in the narrative. Listen to what he says. But Micaiah said, 
As surely as the Lord lives, I can tell him only what the Lord tells me. This is our answer. When someone says, who are you to tell me how I'm to live my life? Who are you to have your moral judgments on what is right and you're wrong? You know what you say? You say, I'm nobody and I'm nothing, just like you're nobody and you're nothing. But the God of heaven has decreed what is right and what is wrong and what is good and what is evil. And he has the right to tell us. It's not my words, it's his words. He has the right which leads to the last point. The truth is not to be stretched. It's not to be stretched. See, I think the world just flat out lies to us. The, the, Satan is called the deceiver and the father of lies. He will try, and listen, this is just over and over now. He will get you to believe any lie you can believe. And if you bite it, he'll feed you more of that same lie over and over again. Until you believe that lie is truth. He's a deceiver and a liar, and you need to expose those things because the world and Satan in his way will lie to you. But I also believe the church stretches the truth. The church stretches the truth. We take a good biblical principle and we add to it and we stretch it and we, we make it more than what it was meant to be. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, all those people that Jesus came down on so hard in the gospel, they were the masters at this. They added so many more laws to the law of God, it became a burden to the people. Can I tell you, the church still does the same thing. I don't think it's bad, but... And I don't think I've heard that in a sermon in a really long time. Maybe you didn't know that. But the Bible says, listen, women are not to dress in such a way that you're attracting the lustful gaze of another guy, a guy towards you. You shouldn't do that. Second Timothy says that. By the way, guys, it also says, don't look. <laughs> You're not off the hook. Don't look. So uh, it says the same thing. But because the Bible says dress modestly, churches take that truth and they take it too far and say, women, uh, they, they can't wear pants and they can't do this. And they, they, you know, even in different religions, you see the Muslims covering themselves from head to toe to try to head off that same idea. And they take it too far. We can't make the Bible say what we want it to say. We just need to know what the Bible says and live by it, right? I'm going to give you another one, and you guys might think this is controversial. Let's talk about alcohol for a second. The Bible is very clear. It warns against the dangers of alcohol. It says, listen, you've got to be very careful when it comes to it. It's addictive. It's destructive. It says things like this. In Ephesians 5.18, it says, uh, do not get drunk on wines, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. He says, listen, you can't get drunk. That's going too far. And then it says in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1, it says, wine is a mocker and beer is a brawler. It'll lead you to fights. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. Did you hear that? God's saying, listen, it, you need to be careful. This stuff can really get a hold of you. This stuff can ruin your life. This stuff can lead you down the wrong path. You've got to be super careful. But it never does say that you can't have a drink of alcohol. Y'all might think less of me for saying that, but let me say let me say, Okay, thanks. <laughs> I'm just trying to give you the truth. Thanks, Penny. So if you have an addiction to alcohol, you shouldn't have alcohol. If you have a family history of addiction to alcohol, let me just, don't, don't try it. Stay away from it. If you drink and you don't think you have a problem, but you keep getting drunk, you shouldn't drink alcohol. It said don't get drunk. If you're under 21 and the law of your land is don't drink before you're 21, thank you. Don't drink alcohol. <laughs> That's right. Good. We're on the same page. Um, 
If you grew up and bless you, then don't drink alcohol. If there was alcohol in the home and you know the dangers of it and you choose not to drink, God bless you, then don't drink alcohol. That's fine. Listen, you'll never go wrong by not drinking alcohol. I'm not saying you should. If, you, if your stance is, I don't want to drink alcohol, praise God. You don't have to worry about a temptation in your life that other people will have a temptation in. But listen, I can't stand here and say the Bible says don't drink alcohol. That's all I'm saying. We can't stretch that. We take it too far sometimes. Now, those are little stretches that I think can be harmful and, and confusing. There's some other stretches that have happened to Christian doctrine that have gotten really out of place. And I would say this is where Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons fall into line. Because they've taken the truth of who Jesus is and the gospel and the scriptures and they've added prophets and rules and writings to audition to what, what God has already said and canonized and who Jesus is and what the gospel is. And they've added so much that they've twisted and distorted it so it doesn't even look like orthodox Christianity and the gospel and Jesus is messed up and it doesn't even look like it's supposed to look anymore. You ever have a slinky when you were a kid? Remember slinkies? Slinkies were awesome. They were awesome as long as they were all in shape, right? Did you ever take your slinky and then use it as like a jump rope? That was fun. Or take it and try to lasso your sister or something like that, you know? And then you get that, that slinky back and it was like trying to push it back together, right? And it was all like this, right? And as much as you wanted that slinky to go back down the stairs, there was no recovering the slinky. It just wasn't going to walk down the stairs no more. This is what those, those how do you call them? No longer resembles the truth. It's irrecoverable. Now, I'm not saying there aren't individual believers in those groups that love Jesus and they're saved and they're, they're trying to follow God, but the teachings of those groups is twisted and it's not true anymore. Hey, good news, last page. So Micaiah goes before the king. You knew this was coming. He finally gets there, and he tells the king, go ahead and attack him. In my head, it sounds like, yeah, 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 go ahead. You should do that, king. You should go attack him. And the king's not a dummy. He, he hears the sarcasm in Micaiah's voice. He says, no, 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 I want you to tell me the real deal. Don't mess around with me. Tell me what God told you to tell me. And so Micaiah says, okay, fine. God told me to tell you to attack so that you could go and you would be defeated and you would be judged for your disobedience to him. That's the truth. And a guy named Zedekiah is standing right there next to Micaiah and it says he slaps him in the face for telling the truth. You know what that tells me? When you stand for the truth, it's going to cost you. When you and I stand for the truth, it's going to offend somebody. When you and I stand for the truth, people aren't going to like it. When people, you and I stand for the truth, we might lose a friend or two. When you and I stand for the truth, we might not get invited to that really awesome party we used to go to. When you and I stand for the truth, you're going to, be, uh, you're going to miss out on something. It's going to cost you to stand for the truth. So you and I have to decide who we want to be popular with. Do we want to be popular with God or with other people? We are called to be people of the truth. Because listen, not only will the truth cost you, the flip side of that is what Jesus said in John chapter 8. The truth will set you free, right? Remember that? 
The, 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 the benefits far outweigh the, the, the issues you have with the truth. The truth might cost you, but it brings life and freedom and it brings clarity and it brings purpose and it brings, uh, you, you get to slowly see sins die away in your life. You begin to treat people better. You start handling your finances the way God intended and you do all that you, freedom after freedom after freedom because if you know the truth and the truth will set you free. So it's worth taking a stand. It's worth the cost because of the incredible benefits that Jesus said we have when we are people of the truth and we're a church of the truth. We cannot budge on the truth. Now, a couple applications. One is, do you know what you believe? Do you know this book? Are you growing in the knowledge of what God says in his word? Is that a priority to you or is that just a passing fancy? I mean, do you really want to know God? Do you hunger and thirst after righteousness? Do you, do you long to know him better by studying his word and getting in and seeing what he says and, and seeing how the Bible can correct and change you and just glorifying God and going, wow, I didn't know God was that awesome. And it blows you away and you hunger for his word because in his word you find out who he is and what he wants to do in your life. Do you know his truth? You know, when they're teaching agents to spot counter, counterfeit bills, there's so many different kind of counterfeits in the world today that you can't keep up with all the different counterfeit bills. So you don't try to memorize and study all the fakes and the phonies out there. You know what they do? They study the originals, the actual bills, and they get them so burned in their brain that as soon as they see something that doesn't look like what they know, they can spot it in an instant. You know what? We are to be people of this book and to know God's truth and know it so well. When something is taught or we hear something or someone says something and it doesn't line up with the truth of God's word, we spot it in an instant because we know the truth. We know it. Do you know his truth? The prophet Amos said this. God's speaking through him and God says, I will send a famine through the land. Not a famine of food or thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. I, I can't think of a better description, sadly, of where we are today in the church today. We have more resources. The word is more readily than, available than ever. But you and I oftentimes are starving spiritually because we're not feeding ourselves the truth of the living God into our lives. And the scripture says, listen, if you're not doing that, you're going to shrivel up spiritually. You need to be fed upon the word of God. What did Jesus say when tempted? Uh, my bread is not bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's what I hunger for. Feed me that. I want to know him. Do you know his word? Can I just challenge you? There's two great ways to do that. Get in a study, a small group here. You get with other believers and you study God's word. If you're ever in a study group and it's not centered on the word of God, that's not, a, that's not a Christian study group. You need the word of God to feed you. We've got that here. The other way to do that is get in the word yourself and, and make a habit of opening this book or putting it on your phone. It don't matter. But read God's word and let him speak to you on a regular, consistent, hopefully daily basis. And if you need help with that, I, I think a lot of us intend to do that, but oftentimes we, we fail at that. And, and so if you want some help getting back on track, we can send you some resources, some things you can go through to help you do that. Be someone who knows his word. Secondly, we need to be people who live his word. 
James says, don't be hearers of the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. It doesn't do us any good to know his word and not live his word. In fact, the scripture says knowledge puffs up, but loves builds up. The more you know of this and you don't apply it, the more prideful you get. That's what it says. So we got to practice it. Be examples of it. Own it up when we fall short of it. We need to be talking about it. We need to make a stand for it. I believe some of you, God's saying, there's a place that, that, that you live in or, or, or work in or go to school in and nobody knows you're a follower of mine. You've not taken that stand, but it's time you take a stand. And you let them know whom you follow and who you belong to. Thirdly, we need to believe in the truth of this word. We need to believe that when God said he is the author of all truth and he has all truth. That not only includes how we live this life, it includes our eternal destiny. When Jesus said that he is the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through him, that that's true. And regardless of what our religions say and regardless of what other people say, Jesus said a really narrow thing that people would like to reject today. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you want to know the truth, you need to know me. If you don't want to know the path for your way to live your life, you need to know me. If you want to have life now and eternally with the Father one day, you need to know me. He says there is no other way. Let's pray together. God, right now I believe that Jesus is pressing into some hearts and saying there is no other way. And maybe you've tried religion or being good or all these other ways and try to find a way or a path to God. But today it's become clear that Jesus' words are true, that he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. And it's time for you to place your faith in Jesus Christ because when he went to the cross, he took away the one thing that will keep you from God the Father and that is your sin. He removed it by being the perfect sacrifice, destroying the work of Satan, destroying the work of sin in your life, and removing it and cleansing you because he paid for every one of your sins. Then he rose from the dead just to rub it in the devil's face and prove that he owns eternity in his hand. Now listen, he's offering that to you right now. He says, I want you to know me. I want you to know my truth. I want you to know my love and my forgiveness. Man, I want you to be with me for eternity in heaven one day. I did all that because I have this incredible, consuming love for you. So I offer it to you right now. You say, what do I do with that offer? You know what you have to do? Turn from your selfish sin. So I don't want to follow that way anymore. And, I, and turn to Jesus Christ. Make that your decision today. God, I turn my life to you. And ask him this. God, will you forgive me? God, will you come into my life? Will you lead me from this day forward? Man, if you prayed that, you got to tell somebody today, whether that's someone you're with, or come back to the next step table and see me, and let us celebrate the life-changing decision you made today. God, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters that we would be people that, that love and delight in your truth. God, we'd hunger and thirst for you in your word and we'd seek you out and we'd grow in our knowledge and practice and obedience to you. 
God, move people into groups or, or back to making time for you in their daily walk. You make that commitment to the Lord. If, you're, if he's telling you to do that, you tell him, I'll do it, God. Lord, I believe there's people in this room you're saying it's time for you to make a stand. If that's the declaration you need to make to God today, you tell them right now, God, it's going to be different. When I show up there, I'm going to stand for you. Maybe there's an area of your life that God's just been pressing in and saying, I want you to adjust, not me adjust to what you think is right. It's time for you to adjust your life to what I say is good. If that's what he's saying to you, just say, God, by your grace and by your help and the power of your Holy Spirit, I say yes to conforming my life into the image of Jesus Christ. Help me, God, to become more like you. God, I thank you for how you speak. In Jesus' name.